to start uh, bird's eye view, just kind of take a step back and think more broadly, does the Bible have anything to tell us uh, in terms of like how should we think about relationships in general? We're calling this thing Relationships Reimagined. And tonight where I want to start is just reimagining, does the Bible, does Jesus have anything to say to us about reimagining relationships as a whole? And I think he does. And so you've got your handout. I want to read really just a couple of uh, verses from Genesis 1, 2, and 3. I'm going to read that for us, then pray, and I'm going to dive into what I want to talk about tonight. So Genesis, uh, you have in your handout Genesis 1. I'm going to start just with verse 26, uh, 27, 28. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. Then skip down to Genesis 2. Then the Lord said, The Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And in the bigger passage in Genesis 3. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, at this point, if you know the Bible at all, the Satan threw a serpent through a snake as gone and, and into the garden with Adam and Eve and, and tempted them away from God. And here's what the author of Genesis says. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. And skip down to 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Let me pray for us, and then I want to dive in to what I want to talk about tonight. Let's pray first. Lord, you are the one who um, we've gathered here. And some of us are, we're excited to be here uh, others of us, the introverts in our midst, like me, are really anxious to be here, and these quarters are so tight. Um, Lord, some of us are not. We don't really want to be here. Maybe our parents sort of forced us or bribed us to come. Maybe our girlfriend or our boyfriend forced us or bribed us to come. Maybe our roommate. Lord, you know, whatever, however we come tonight, or we, we take comfort um, in the fact that you know us. Um, you know us through and through. Uh, you know the thoughts and intentions of our hearts that none of us can see. And yet, Lord, you love us. Um, you have good news for us tonight. Uh, however we come, whether we're anxious or whether we're excited, whether we're uncomfortable or comfortable, Lord, we, I pray that you would send your spirit uh, to remind us of the good news of Jesus Christ tonight, uh, that we are known, fully known, and truly loved in him, and that this is an invitation for us. Um, the thing that we've been drinking from, looking to, for satisfaction, Lord, if we're being honest, uh, for a lot of us, it just has not been working. And would you meet us in this place? Would you fill us with good things? Would you give us new life? And we pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. So, in all the problems going on in your life right now, 
I would make the case that almost all of them are relational problems. Everything you've got going on, and this is true, like, good, good things too, like, the good things in your life and the hard things in your life. Almost every single, like, we could go case by case in your life right now, almost every single one is going to be tied to some kind of relationship somewhere, whether it's parents, roommates, old friends, the struggle of new friends, uh, your, people you're meeting in Rush this week, uh, people you're meeting in class this week, professors who probably aren't near, like, the Kevin Sorbo, God's Not Dead, one and two level. Um, ho- ho- is anyone near that level? No, Christian films lie to us. But Jesus doesn't. But all of the problems in your life are relational problems. This really came home to me really profoundly and sadly just this past, I guess it was actually yesterday. So this is a stressful week for me. I've been a campus minister for 11 years, and this week is always hard because I'm a true introvert, and I hate, I love you guys, but I hate the welcome events because small talk is my nightmare. I don't know how to do it. If I could pray for one superpower, it would be the ability to make small talk, and I just, I just can't. But I show up, and I do my best. So I'm going home pretty grumpy. So my wife, and I have a wife and four kids, and a new dog, a labradoodle named Teddy, and they suffer the grumpiness that I bring home with me. So yesterday we're in the pool. We have this inflatable pool. You know, it's, it's a redneck paradise in the back. And we are kind of playing in the pool. Teddy is jumping in. I'm like rolling with it. Well, then at some point, both my son, who he's nine, he's all boy, he's all full of energy, just like tackles me. I go under and then Teddy comes on top and I just come out of the water really mad. And I do that thing that I'm like kind of starting to yell at my son slash want to beat my dog. I'm a sinner. I need Jesus. If you're an animal lover, we can talk. I don't, I didn't really, I don't really beat him. But what I didn't know was that my eight-year-old daughter was filming this whole thing on my phone. And this is like a true story. So I like, I'm looking through my phone and I see this video and I notice it's us in the water and I play it and y'all, it is slow-mo. This is no joke. I'll show it to you. It is slow. It is slow-mo of me just losing my stuff on my son. So like there are moments where I'm like, I mean, it's like the most, it's like one of those moments where you see yourself and you're so ashamed of yourself and like you want to, and I am, and I have gone back to my son and just profusely apologized. But everything going on in that scenario was relational. Trying to manage all the stress of all kinds, relationships with y'all, relationships with my family. All of your problems, most of your problems are relational problems. And part of what we're asking this semester is how in the world are we going to have the wisdom and the courage and the grace to know how to do them well. Whether it's your boyfriend or your girlfriend, whether it's your parents or your roommate, whether it's your old friends or your new friends, whether it's your professor or your classmates, how in the world do we navigate the field of relationships? And what I want to do tonight is I think there are three things that these, this passage, early chapters of Genesis give to us that are a gift to us that help us begin to make sense of what's going on and maybe where we're going to find the clue. So what I want to do tonight is talk about first how we're made for relationships, Second, the messiness of relationships. And then lastly, the mending or the healing of relationships. Is there the hope and the healing, uh, the mending of relationships? So first, think with me for a little bit about how we're made for relationships. And this is what the passage means when it says, when the Bible says that we're made in God's image. It's saying something really profound to us. It's saying that one of the things that's unique to Christianity is we believe that even though nothing existed before God, that God has never been alone. 
Because God is Father, Son, and Spirit. God inherently in himself is relationally is relational, deeply relational. The Father has always loved the Son. The Son has always loved the Father. The Father and the Son have always loved the Spirit. The Spirit has always loved the Father and the Son. There's a deep relationalness to God himself. And for us to be made male and female in that image means we ourselves are deeply, deeply relational. What this means is relationships however you feel about them, if they're going great or terrible right now, relationships are part of your DNA. Being in life-giving relationships, pressing in and leaning into relationships, it's not this accessory, it's this thing that's fundamental to who we are. And if you're ever going to understand yourself, you've got to understand this about yourself, that you are inherently and deeply relational. There was a a psychologist back in the 50s who did this really, really depressing study. Uh, His name was Renee Spitz. And he was doing research on human beings who are isolated from other human beings. And so if you've heard of this study at all, he, he basically went to this orphanage. Part of his study was going to this orphanage and following the early life of these 97 infants. And this was one of the worst kinds of orphanages in the world where there were not enough people to give the babies the attention that they needed. So all they could give them was food and drink, food and water, food and nourishment. But they couldn't hold them. They couldn't sing to them or talk to them. Basically, these babies lay for hours and hours and hours in their cribs. And his research was thinking, it was just researching, how would this affect them? And the results were devastating. Here's what the study said. uh, That some of the kids, because there was no time to be held or cradled or talked to, that they had all these abnormal signs. Loss of appetite. They would have these vacant expressions in their eyes. After five months of this, deterioration started setting in. Some of the kids, because as this happened, when you, would, when you would go to hold them and pick them up, they would scream in terror. Um, these kids, actually 27 of them, even though they had food and water, 27 of them within that first year, it got so bad that they actually died. And what a study said was, we know that we can't live without food and water. But this study says we also can't live without relationships. We, we were made for them. We were made to forge new friendships that are about the kingdom. We were made to to be known. Here's the best way to say it. We were made to know and be known. We were made to love and be loved, first by God, but then with each other. Uh, And the question for us is, is is that happening? Um, And this is what it means for us, a couple things. The first thing it means, this means when you hole up in your room and do that thing that sometimes I'm tempted to do, to just watch, to be in the arms of Netflix for hours upon hours, <laughs> that when you do that, you're a little less yourself because you're cutting yourself off from relationship. When you do that thing that I've done, where you put all of your identity in a dating relationship with a, with a guy or a girl, and you start doing that thing where you start isolating from your other friends, it's a, you know, we've done, a lot of us have done it. You start isolating. Part of what, part of what happens when you do that is you become a little less yourself because you start isolating from relationship. You know, when you do that thing where you go home every weekend and you refuse to risk the awkwardness and the uncomfortableness of getting to know new people, which let's just embrace it. Like, freshman, I do not envy you. Like, I remember my freshman year moving into Snowden, introvert me, 40 people from kindergarten to senior year me, and getting to this campus and thinking, no one knows me. Like, not as, except my roommate, who was my best friend, and we both got so depressed, it's not funny, we both got so depressed that we transferred and didn't talk for two years. So let's hope, if you think your roommate situation is bad, let's talk afterwards. 
That was depressing. I want to give you hope. I'm giving you the opposite of hope right now. But part of what I'm saying is, is when we do that thing where we refuse to do the riskiness of being known and being loved, of knowing and of loving, we become a little less ourselves. The way I kept thinking about it was, favorite scene of Jerry, how can it not be your favorite scene of Jerry Maguire? When they do the thing, you know, they see the deaf couple in the elevator, that you, I don't know how to do it, but you complete me couple. Spoiler, if you haven't seen Jerry Maguire, this is going to ruin it, but sorry. When they do that thing where he runs and gets Renee Zellweger at the end and he's crying through tears, you complete me, and she does that thing, shut up, shut up, you had me at hello thing. It's beautiful. If you haven't seen it, Google it tonight. But there's a sense when, when, you, when we're saying you complete me, that scene is so wrong because Jesus is the only one who completes us, and yet so right because he gave us to each other. He made us like himself, deeply relational. And, and that's part of what you have to understand about yourself is you are fundamentally deeply relational. But if you're like me, part of why we hate relationships, part of why people are the worst, part of why you're the worst and I'm the worst is it's messy. And this is what I'll talk second, the messiness of relationships. Um, you know, this is where I think if you have an experience that people are the worst, just go back and reimagine yourself in seventh grade. Sometimes I like to say that Jesus needs to heal all of us of seventh grade. Unless you're Anna Howard, who apparently crushed middle school, and we hate you for that. For most of us, middle school was that time where we were known, but we were not loved, right? And we began to taste something of the, the way the fall affected relationships. And this is what I love about the Bible. It is unflinchingly realistic about us. And not, no sooner do we get the Genesis 1 and 2 of the beauty and the, po- the poetry of creation, we get into the sadness and the tragedy of what happened in the choice of Adam and Eve, that's the choice of all of us. I mean, the Bible calls it sin. Sin is another way of saying it's a failure to put your hope and trust in God and to put your hope and trust in yourself. It's a failure to put your love, give your love to God or to others and to hold your love in a a self-love kind of a way. Um, And this is exactly what happens, right? You, You see what happens. Satan comes into the garden. He does that fatal suggestion we didn't read this part, but the fatal suggestion is this. Maybe God doesn't love you. Maybe God doesn't know you or know what's best for you. Maybe you should be the only one who thinks, who takes care of yourself, who decides for yourself, who makes choices for yourself. You don't really need God. God doesn't really love you. He doesn't really, you don't, he doesn't really even know what's best for you. Why don't you make that choice yourself? And, of course, this is what Eve, as soon as she considers it, is where she begins to fall into sin. And this is the suggestion. And this is what I want you to see about why are relationships so messy. Here's the answer. It's because the, what happens is self-centeredness replaces God-centeredness. And self-love replaces real love. And we all have that poison in our hearts and that disease in ourselves where we put ourselves first, where it's me first. This is why we all do, we joke about superpowers, we all do have the, this one superpower, and it's the ability to make everything about ourselves. Like, I can do that all day long. That's why I had, got angry yesterday, was they were, my kids were, and my dog, which was a huge mistake, were threatening my comfort in a major way, and it was about me, not about them. And the, de- the fallout is devastating. Here, the, the fallout in, in Genesis 3 is threefold. First, Adam and Eve do the same threefold fallout. Number one is self-protection. Instead of walking with God in the cool of the day, they hide behind the trees. They hide from God. 
instead of walking, the, the image is sort of weird but beautiful, instead of walking in like the fullness of life and nakedness and joy and of being known and loved by God, now they're ashamed and they hide and they do the self-protection thing where it's, it's easier to hide than to be vulnerable because our deepest fear is, is that we might be known but not loved. But then they don't just do self-protection. Secondly, the other part of the fallout is shame. It says Adam realizes his nakedness. That's another way of saying he realized his incompleteness. He realized his not-enoughness. He realized his failure. He realized that he was not okay. And this is where it moves for us, right? If, if our deepest desire is to be fully known and truly loved, what shame says is not just that if people knew us, they wouldn't love us. Shame says to us that if they, they, that they can't love us. It's not just that we wouldn't be loved, but that we couldn't be loved if anyone ever knew the real us. And then the third part of the fallout is blame. You've probably heard this before, but the classic, the, I mean, it's the classic way that sin works, right? Where it's like, God goes to Adam, and Adam says, she's the one you really need to talk to. And then God goes to Eve, and she says, that snake's really the one you need to talk to. And you see the way that we as humans cannot take ownership, that we are the problem. That right now, your roommate's not the problem. You're the problem. That right now, your boyfriend or girlfriend is not the problem. You're the problem. Your brother or your sister is not the problem. Your, your parents aren't the problem. You're the problem. And, of course, we can say they're the problem, too. But all the Bible points us to is that we are the problem. Uh, I love the story. R.A. Dickey was a famous pitcher. He, played, he pitched for Tennessee in college, and then he played in the pros. And then he had this pretty bad, I think he had Tommy John surgery. He became a knuckleball pitcher. But a couple of years ago, he was on NPR. And part of the story that he began sharing happened when he tried to kill himself. Uh, he was really successful in a lot of different ways, making a lot of money, major league pitcher. And he was with the, at the beach with his family one day, and he swam out into the ocean to end it all. And thankfully, there was a boat that was passing by at the time, saw what he was doing, picked him up, saved him. And that was the turning point of his life. Because basically what happened was it came out, he began to share that when he was 13, he was deeply sexually abused. And he had not told anybody. He, he had told not a soul, not even his wife, and he was on NPR talking about the abuse and talking about how he'd begun working through some of it. And here's what he said. He said, it had been locked away, the abuse, for 23 years and had wreaked havoc on my life and uh, the relationships that I had in my life. Not only with my friends, who really weren't my friends, but he said, I, I didn't trust anybody, even my wife. She didn't know the darkest things about me. I kind of conned her into marrying me almost. It's a tough admission. I love her dearly. Here's the line I love. So I projected who I wanted to be, but I would never let her inside because I always feared if someone knew the real me, they would run the other way. Therapy helped me see that I could trust people. And I love this line, that there, are others, there were others who could hold my story carefully. And the question I have for you and for me is kind of twofold. Where are you projecting this image of yourself, this is what we do on Twitter. This is what we do in Snap, Snapchat. This is what we do all over the Internet where I want you to know this version of me, but I know that's not the real me because I'm afraid that if you know the real me and all of my stuff, you're not going to like me, much less love me. Where are you projecting an image because you're afraid that if people knew you, they wouldn't love you? 
And the second question is, are you that kind of person that R.A. Dickey talked about, that you are so known and loved by Jesus that you're a safe person who can hold another, your friend's stories carefully and say, I know the worst of you, but I'm not going anywhere. And that's kind of what we need. And that's the last thing I want you to see. Is, so this is, we're getting to the hope of relationship. If we know that we're made for relationships, we know that, well, that's hard because relationships suck sometimes. And the last thing I want you to see is where do we have that kind of hope that R.A. Dickey found, and I just want to call it the mending of relationships. And the sub, the, what we're going to find is the subtext of this passage, this is what I love about Genesis 3, is the subtext of this passage is so raw. Because the subtext is, what in the world is God going to do when they come out from behind the trees? And I think you and I go two ways with this. Some of you in this room go the way of, God is going to crush them. He's going to be like my dad when I like, he's going to be like me in the pool after. He's going to just lose his stuff. He's going to grab them by the neck and throw them against the tree and be like, what were you thinking? Why didn't you listen to me? How dare you disobey me? That's one version. The other version is sort of the sugar daddy version where it's like he's like smoothly comes in and is like, oh, guys, he's like smoking pot. It's no big deal. It's not a big deal at all. Just be chill. Like, no, I'm going to take care of it, you know, like sort of it, not, it doesn't really matter kind of way. And what's so fascinating is he does neither. He does something on the one hand that's way more. He doesn't let, he doesn't let them off the hook. They have to face the consequence of they lose the garden. But I want you to see the most beautiful thing that he does. Is he takes their filthy clothes. Do you see it in the last verse? And he undresses them. Because he has this fresh new pair of clothes waiting for them. He takes their shame. And he clothes them with his grace. He, he takes their sin. And he clothes them with his forgiveness. He takes their failure and he clothes them with his everlasting, never giving up love. And until you have a vision of of God that's like that, a vision of God that, 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 that your shame is no match for his grace, that your failure is no match for his faithfulness, that your messed upness and not enoughness is no match for the fullness of life that he's come to bring you in and through his son Jesus. Only then will you be able to do that thing that we so desperately need in our relationships, to be humble on the one hand and yet bold on the other. Uh, I love the story from my friend who his daughter, uh, she was adopted from China, and she, when she was about six or seven, she had this princess phase where she, all she loved to do was get dressed up in these, all these Disney princess dresses and just play princess all day long, like my, some of my girls like to do, and probably some of you guys should uh, growing up. And she was in one of these phases, and I guess she was about seven at the time. And as she was in one of the dresses, she got, her family got the stomach bug. And so she's in one of these dresses, and I love this image. She's in one of these dresses, and she throws up all, all over herself and all over her dress. And so her dad, my friend, steps in, and he, of course, helps her get out of the dress. And he puts her in the bathtub, and he's bathing her. And she says, she's crying, and she says, Daddy, Daddy, I don't feel like a princess anymore. And my my friend said, sweetie, but you are. And it's not because you're beautiful, you are. And it's not because you dress up like a princess, as much as I love that. It's because I love you. 
And what I want you to see is what makes you have the hope and the boldness and the humility is to say, in the face of our ugliness, in the face of God knowing the worst about us, he still moves in love to us and says, I love nothing more than to call you mine. I want you to see that this is, if, if you had that sort of confidence, if, if you believe the good news that God has for us, that our shame is no match for his grace, it does a couple things for us. I'll close with this, just a couple applications. It means like tonight, sophomores especially, that person that you've been too afraid to like talk to, because I get this just feels awkward, it gives you the, the, the humble boldness to just say, hey, can we go grab colloquium or can we go grab grouches this week and just get to know each other's stories? It gives you the humble boldness to either ask that girl out on a date or say yes to that guy or to like break the thing off because you know it's not going anywhere. We'll talk. Come to dating in a few weeks. <laughs> or to forgive that person who wounded you so deeply this summer that you've like blocked them on Facebook and you've done the passive aggressive thing or you've like, I'm not friends with you anymore. And it gives you the humble boldness to say, if God could love me, how can I not give that forgiveness to them? Um, we're doing this all semester. This is where we're starting. That the gospel of Jesus Christ really does change the way we do relationship. I hope you come back next week when we pray for us. Jesus, we thank you that you do know us. You know the worst about us. You know us in the darkest places that even we don't know and that we don't see. And yet you love us. And I pray that that uh, comfort, that truth, would fill us with joy tonight. That if we're not even sure what we think about it, that you would not let us um, invite, be the God who invites us to question and to doubt you. We thank you that you are that. And Lord, would you uh, be with us in this place and send us out with your love and your grace. We pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen.